Welcome to the Pill Podcast. My name is Trudy Matthews, one of your hosts. And I'm Stephen Williams. We're here at the Kentucky Regional Extension Center, a part of UK Healthcare, recording another episode. And they keep getting better and better, Stephen. They do. We've already interviewed some practice managers, CEOs, doctors all across Kentucky, and we continue to travel to get you the information you need to learn about quality improvement. Today, we're going to hear from one of my favorite quality improvement gurus, Dr. Roberto Cartarelli, who is chief of the Division of Population Medicine and chair of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at UK. And Dr. Cartarelli really is an expert in population health. What is population health? I'm glad you asked, Stephen. Basically, population health is improving the overall population of patients that you're caring for. Instead of only focusing on optimizing an individual clinic visit, you're reaching out to patients in between and really making sure that they have all the necessary care. So care beyond the four walls of the clinic or hospital? Yeah, that's right. One of the reasons that population health is so important in the move to value-based care is that no longer are you just going to be evaluated on the care you provide in your own clinic, you're really going to be evaluated on the overall health of your patients. And that's a a big change for physicians. Also, he talked about how now in a value-based care environment, that it's not just about seeing patients and caring for them while they're in your clinic. Also, value-based care is going to involve really caring for and trying to achieve better population health outcomes over time. So this will be one of the changes that quality improvement is going to be looking at a lot. Absolutely. Well, we do want to remind you before we get into this great interview that you should subscribe. Once we're up on iTunes, you can subscribe there or whatever podcast app you're also using. Right now, we're up on Libsyn. We will have that link, and hopefully you've already found that if you're listening to us. Let's get started. Well, I'm delighted to have Dr. Cartarelli with me today. You are an expert in population health. I know you may not want me to call you that, but you really (laughs) are. You know so much about this topic. And for our listeners, can you define what population health is? I think it's kind of studying and actively defining a population that you're really trying to improve some kind of health outcome. And so a lot of times we get bogged down in terms of the day-to-day practices with one patient at a time. But these are approaches and interventions and innovations where we're defining high-risk patients and putting some wraparound care around them or just doing something a little different than what we do from a day-to-day aspect. So it's really defining that population, whether it's your diabetics or your high-risk patients from a hospital readmission standpoint and creating innovations and care services around those needs. So for most physicians, they're really your trained and you, in practice, you work so hard to optimize that individual patient encounter. It can really be a lot different, a whole change in mindset than to go to looking at a whole group of patients or a whole group of people and asking, how can I make them healthier? So what drove you as a physician to really look at population health and to, and to see it had value? Well, one of the things that I always highlight to our fellow physicians, our residents, our, even our medical students, that it might be a little discouraging to hear, but what we do within the four walls of our hospital or the four walls of our clinics, we're probably impacting health, overall health for an individual, maybe 20%. So a lot of the work and the potential impact we could have is really looking outside and looking at those social determinants, kind of where the patient lives, what are the social factors and 
barriers to care, such as transportation, food, home safety, those kind of things, because that's where you can have the biggest impact on overall health. And so realizing that it's scary for a clinician that we're so trained in the medical model to work in those four walls, but putting teams around you and developing innovations that are, could be outside of that visit, could be asynchronous, that could really have a true impact on somebody's health. So that drove me. That drove me to realize we're not moving the needle in this country from healthcare costs, from health outcomes. We're spending a lot and not seeing the value out of it. So I think this is one of the biggest areas that we could have impact. And it's scary. And it's not one or the other. That's another thing that I, when I talk to my fellow physicians, it's not doing clinic in four walls or doing public. No, it's, it's all layered. So that's actually what we do here in the Department of Family and Community Medicine. We have layered approaches of taking care of the patient. That is really great because I think, again, it's, it is a mindset change to think about how to not just as an individual clinician work, but also work in a team. Can you talk a little bit about your team-based approach here at, at UK in the Department for Family and Community Medicine? How do you use that whole team for population health? Well, that's a, a great question. And, you know, I think we've been leading an effort and we're actually, we call this really transforming the clinical experience for our patients. And we start with our model at the face-to-face visit. But one thing, for example, what we added is a pre-20 visit where patients are coming in and the first 20 minutes is we're assessing other social needs. They're being screened for depression. We're making sure the preventive services are up to date and what things we need to address during that visit. So we have dedicated time to capture these health measures. And that is handed to the provider before they walk into the room. So they could take care of the diabetes, the hypertension, but now we are realizing, oh gosh, they haven't seen their ophthalmologist for the diabetes eye exam. They are due for their pneumococcal vaccine. So it allows us to do the preventive and quality measures. And in fact, it has created more time for the provider to spend time with the the patient because now we have all 20 or 30 minutes, whatever your visits are, to really be focused. But that's synchronous care. When the patient leaves, we then identify those high-risk patients such as those who have two chronic conditions, maybe the older population, and we approach them and enroll them into chronic care management. So now these higher knee patients are identified and based on a risk stratification approach, and now we are able to go deeper, provide greater wraparound services, whether linking them to community-based organizations and other community resources, providing further education, and that's run by our nurses and our care management program outside of the visit. So we have this synchronous kind of face-to-face model, but we still wrap everybody around asynchronous care, like after the model that we're working with them. And then we have a population medicine team talking about population health. We're identifying cohorts of patients who are due for an office visit because they're overdue for their diabetes visit. And they're all being contacted from a population approach. Everybody who's due for colon cancer screening, for example. Then we layer another team and taking a population approach as well. I love this approach because you're really helping everybody on the whole team to have an active role in managing the health of your patients. Everybody's working at the top of their license. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I hear all the time from providers, it's like, oh, if I have to do another click in another box, but you're really setting up your providers to optimize and provide only the care that they can provide during that visit time 
and everything else that can be handled by other members of the team is really handled beforehand. Exactly. In fact, it has really increased the value of that visit, even from the provider standpoint, because they're practicing medicine. They are focusing on the identified needs, so those screenings. We're doing alcohol screenings as well, tobacco assessment. It's, it's amazing. We actually are able to really focus on delivering the care. It's really specific for that patient. It's creating greater value for the patient that we're getting even feedback from our evaluate patient satisfaction evaluations. We're getting great comments that there is a much more caring approach. Uh, so we're getting that feedback too from patients. So I know that one of the things that you all do here at the Department for Family and Community Medicine is you all do this fancy thing called impanelment with your patients. Can you talk a little bit about how you do impanelment? How do you impanel your patients? And what is, how does that change the patient's experience of care? We ensure that each patient has an identified primary care provider, but also has an identified team. So here in family and community medicine, we're a big academic clinic. So there's you know, a lot of folks who are really more part-time seeing patients. So it's hard to meet patient needs when we just try to impound at the physician level, which is our goal. Everybody has a primary care provider. However, we are also in what we call micro teams. Each team has a number of family medicine residents, faculty, APPs, where we are working together to manage a cohort of patients and a panel of patients. We actually have workflows and procedures when patients are calling for appointments to ensure that they fall with their PCP, if not then, with the micro team. And we have reached over 80 to 85% of continuity of care through this model. So patients know that they have a healthcare team taking care of all their needs when they come to clinic and when they're not in clinic. And it is part of a requirement related to being a certified patient-centered medical home as well. But it allows us to create interventions and test models in microteams related to population medicine. So when we come with a new innovative idea, we might pilot test it in one or two of the microteams and allows uh, for us to fine-tune it, allows us to have control groups with the other microteams in terms of a quality improvement process, do our PDSAs. Then we then scale it to the rest of the clinic. It allows us to do that. But it's really geared for the patient to know that they have a team. When they come see Dr. Carterelli, they also know they have a yellow team, for example, yeah. taking care of them as well. When you're in these teams, do you have your data broken down by teams in terms of how each team is performing? How do you use data with those teams around for quality improvement? We do, actually. And so we actually have like our clinical performance measures all the way from no-show rates to utilization rates and all that broken down to the unit. We use a macro dashboard of our quality measures that we can then select providers on one team so I could look at everybody on yellow team. So we do look at data at, at the team level as well. And so it, you mentioned just in passing that we use macro measures or quality payment program measures. So what gets reported to CMS for the quality payment program, you all as a clinic actively look at those measures and, make, and look at your performance on them. Yes. We're very aggressive to look at each provider. Our goal is for each provider to be knowledgeable and have access to their productivity. We also provide access and report out on their clinical performance measures. That's your no-show, your utilization rate in terms of your scheduling, because people want to know related to that. And also the quality of care they deliver 
which is our macro measures, but also we also provide on their patient satisfaction scores as well. So there's, you know, three buckets of data that we are continuously looking as a department, measuring ourselves, reporting out to the department during departmental meetings. There's some levels of data we all our providers have access to, and we're trying to get better. You know, that's our really kind of ultimate goal that they get one package with these three buckets on a monthly basis is our gold standard. That's what we're trying to achieve. What kind of improvements have you seen in your numbers so far? Several of us, as I said, we might pilot with either a micro team or some providers. On the macro measures, for example, I believe there's around 15 active measures that you know, are active for today. Even though you get a score for a flu vaccine, well, that hasn't hit over the summer. So you know, we kind of uh, ignore that for right now. We're going to pay attention. But there's several of us that implemented workflows where we assess our quality dashboards at the beginning of visits. And during the pre-20, things are identified and provided to the provider before they walk into the room, as I mentioned before. Just that workflow, if you do it with high fidelity at a higher rate, we are seeing those providers now meeting 8 to 9 to 10 of the 15 measures, and we're already at above goal. We have seen a tremendous increase. So we went to the pre-20, went live on May 10th, I believe, that it's now applied across all five color teams. We have 44 providers downstairs in our clinic here, you know, family medicine at Turflin. And we're already seeing our overall department numbers. When I look at the overall clinic, just moving at a rapid pace. That's amazing. Meeting, the, meeting those numbers. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I mean, because it's really hard to move the needle oftentimes on one measure alone, but to actually move it across multiple measures, really to see those big jumps in, in performances is, is really amazing. You said the problem, one of the most important things early on is if we create workflows and interventions where you're just going to be putting more work on the physician or APP, it's not going to work. From the work we have done here, through my research on other systems, when you get the whole workflow spanned across from entering the clinic to exiting that visit, and everybody has a role and contributes to the care of that patient, that's when things sustain. And that's when you see the biggest impact. Because you're right, every physician, I'm a family doc, I can't bear one more click, one more thing to do. So we have to think differently. And sometimes that means we have to repurpose our staff. We have to maybe reinvent their roles and responsibilities. It doesn't mean that you always need to spend a lot more money. We might just have to kind of readjust. Well, one of the hallmarks of population health is really the ability to identify patients that are at higher risk and then trying to prevent complications downstream. And I know you talked about that a little bit, but I wonder if you could expand a bit and talk about how you do that in your clinic. How do you know who's high risk and then how is care impacted when somebody's identified that way? I could best explain maybe in a few examples of what we do in a program. So I already kind of mentioned a little bit on the chronic care management. That's kind of already kind of set by CMS and Medicare, identified predominantly the older population, identify those who have chronic conditions. Based on evidence in terms of poor outcomes, we know those who have diabetes and hypertension, for example, are at high risk. So therefore, we identified as a population medicine approach, we are now actively seeking and enrolling those who have the comorbid diabetes hypertension diagnosis. That's one kind of low level of risk stratification based on chronic diseases, the number of chronic diseases. There's instruments and 
calculations out there, such as the Charleston Comorbidity Index, that people could use to identify high-risk patients. But for chronic care management, like we're doing, that is kind of a low-hanging fruit approach to identify vulnerable patients. Another example is we do a lot of transitional care management visits in family medicine. In fact, I feel like our department is one of the leaders in the country from a primary care standpoint on transition. We've been doing it for two, three years now. We published our data. And there, you know, rather than seeing everybody who gets discharged from the hospital back, we use what's called a LACE score. A LACE score is a validated instrument that, based on the score, it predicts a 30-day readmission risk. And so those who have a high score, we risk stratify. We get them in within seven days. We use community resources and programs to go to the home. And we also really assure that they get a what we call a TCM visit within seven to 14 days. So that's another example of risk stratification through a population medicine approach. In our hazard clinic, we have implemented a diabetes clinic run by our family medicine docs, where we identify anybody with an A1C greater than nine gets into this multidisciplinary clinic visit, which they see pharmacy, nutrition, behavioral health, and then the physician. And we've already seen improvements in their A1C of this really high uncontrolled population. So you could use laboratory data to risk stratify. There is a lot of opportunity to risk stratify that could be as simple as two chronic conditions to use in a fancy calculator to use in laboratory value. So all of those are risk stratification approaches. And, and so really anybody who has even a basic EHR could very likely use some simple methods to risk stratify their patients. It's, you don't have to have some sort of fancy analytics package to do it. That would certainly help. But there are some simple ways to risk stratify. Absolutely. You know, we all have EHRs that are nimble that you could really dig in. And there's a lot of us that have not very nimble EHRs and you basically have to make do what you got yeah. kind of thing, right? Some people develop registries, disease registries, and, they, and those disease registries themselves are a risk stratification approach. And then you could do risk stratification within that registry. You can do a lot of work, even with basic, even scheduling data, like you know your scheduling software. You could identify patients with certain insurances, age groups. So you could use other approaches. You could use claims data. So there's a, a variety of ways to, to stratify where you don't have to have a really fancy and experienced analytic team or software. Dr. Cartarelli, you mentioned the idea of running a PDSA, a Plan, Do, Study, Act cycle.